You are live with The App Show. Mike Agarbo here with Gray Williams today. Our show is all about the world of apps for your your computer, your phone, your TV, your car, and mobile technology. On today's program, uh, we'll be talking with the folks over at Hippocratic AI. This is a, a generative AI company, generative uh, AI, kind of like ChatGPT, but more on a medical side that will actually in the future be able to call you to make sure that you're feeling okay, you're taking the right medication, and even book a follow-up doctor appointment. It's really fascinating technology. We'll also be talking with Carmi Levy about smartphone sales. They are down dramatically, and you'd be surprised at who the winner and who the losers are. And Meta, the folks behind Facebook and Instagram, well, they're going dark when it comes to Canadian news, part of the uh, Canadian uh, news law that uh, the Liberal government has put through that uh, is forcing the tech giants to make deals with news content providers. Well, Meta doesn't want to, and they're pulling all of the Canadian news. We'll tell you what that all means. But let's get into some of the uh, the news stories here, Gray. Uh, this is interesting. Threads, Instagram threads. This is uh, the competitor to Twitter. Launched with huge fanfare. Over 100 million people signed up within five days. Mark Zuckerberg has since come out now on a, a call to uh, employees saying less than half are still using it. Surprised? Not really. Um, this actually had the feel of a land rush to me, right? The idea of going and securing your account. Um, I, know, I know that's exactly what I did. And here's the thing. Twitter has been kind of a, a horrible place to be for a very long time. Um, the fact that there was an alternative seemed like, hey, here's a shiny new toy that you're still not going to play with. So that's kind of where I am at this point. Like, oh, look, I've got both these apps installed and they send me notifications and I don't care. So you, I, I haven't signed up yet, Gray. Like, I just didn't care enough. And yeah, you know, the funny I, thing is I can't even get into my Twitter account right now. I'm locked out. Really? Yeah. Yeah. You're not missing much. I don't think I am. I, I don't even think it's called Twitter anymore. It's just X. Just X. Oh, yeah. Like, imagine throwing away all of that brand equity. Right, like going from tweet, I, a okay. term that I can't even associates with it, to I post. I can't even imagine because he's done it. Like it's X. You go to twitter.com and it's just like a giant X. So um, I, I don't know what dream he's following now, but he's kind of uh, a little off his rocker. So you know they've had over a hundred million people sign up for Threads. Uh, like Mark Zuckerberg is saying, less than half are still using it. What what do you think the long term prospects for it are, Gray? I think they're good. I mean, Twitter or X, I guess, seems in the middle of committing suicide, like very slowly. There, there's the, you know, kitchen sink it all you want, Elon. You've had no good ideas here, and so I just don't know that it's going to continue. There is a need for a Twitter-like service. Yeah, Zuckerberg sees that, and so it's like while these guys like never interrupt your enemy while they're making a mistake. I think Elon's got that really taken care of. So Mark's just kind of like, eh, I'm just going to let this thing when he's done. We'll be here to pick up the pieces. He'll just wait it out. Okay, yeah. we, we've got a really uh, jam-packed program today. I also want to give a shout-out to a, a new contest that we've got going. We're giving away an Epson EcoTank inkjet printer. This thing is fantastic. It's got enough ink to print literally thousands of pages before you, before you have to refill it. I, I've been using one for years now. I would never go back. You want more information on how to enter? GetConnectedMedia.com is a place to go. And we have a secret word this week. 
And you'll have to stay tuned uh, in the show. We'll tell you what that secret word is. That will give you additional entries into the contest to increase your chances to win. When we come back from the break, we'll be talking to the folks at Hippocratic AI, a new uh, artificial intelligence that uh, will make, I guess, going to the doctor and your pharmacist a little bit easier. Back after this. You are back with the program. Mike Agarbo here. We've got a really cool guest with us. His name is Munjal Shah. He is with a company called Hippocratic AI. Thanks for coming on the program. Hey, thanks for having me, Mike. Uh, so we've been talking about generative AI. Uh, I think, you know, our listeners are probably familiar with like the chat GPTs of the world. Right. You can ask it anything and it just knows everything. And I think a lot of people are now are, are using it for medical advice right. <laughs> or getting <laughs> medical information, which is, is fun and scary at the same time, because we know that these um, generative AI large language models are not always like 100% accurate. So from my understanding, your company is a large language model that is trying to get better, more accurate medical information into its model. Uh, kind of. We are building a large language model for, for healthcare. Got it, yes. But not for diagnoses. Okay. And so, you know, we believe that, you know, what they call the hallucinations of these models, where the model makes up things, is uh, still sufficiently an issue that you shouldn't use this to diagnose you. No. But it turns out there's a ton of things in healthcare we can use this for that can truly improve um, really the quality of, of life for a lot of people um, while avoiding the use cases that might have uh, more risk. So what use cases do you guys provide? Well, so imagine this. Um, imagine you take a large language model and you train it on all kinds of healthcare data. You train it on every side effect of every medication out there, every dosing level, every cross-influence um, uh, of you taking this medication and this medication, they interact with each other, drug interaction. And um, today, you know, does your pharmacist call you two days after you take every single new medication to make sure you're doing okay, to see if you had any weird side effects? Uh, no. <laughs> right. And actually... Where is this pharmacist? <laughs> yeah. Well, and they can't afford to. Like, no. They don't make enough money for per you know, bottle you refill. Yeah. You know, they make a few bucks at the most and um, they don't make enough to actually then take the time to spend, you know, with somebody who makes, you know, $50 an hour, uh, $100 an hour for licensed pharmacist to actually call you. But what if the language model could call you? What if it could talk to you two days after? How you doing? Anywhere side effects? Anything going on? Um, I'll let your doctor know, but I'm just checking in to make sure. And you could ask it questions. Well, is this side effect normal? It says actually looking at the overall side effect history of this medication, that, that is a normal side effect. And it'll, it'll probably go away in a few days. Keep taking your meds. It's all right. Or no, 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 that's an unusual one. Maybe we should look at moving you to a different medication. We don't do that today. And we could do that with large language models around healthcare. And we're not doing diagnoses there. We're just kind of giving you and providing the facts. Giving you some facts. And so that's a unique use case that we can do. We could provide a dietitian to every single Canadian. Like, dietitians are expensive. Yes. Do they help you improve your health? Yeah. Yeah. Is it a better way to improve your health than medications most of the time? Yeah. If you can make it work. Right. And so, but do, have we given the whole world a free dietitian? Like, no, but we kind of can. And, you know, is there danger in a dietitian? Well, a little bit around allergies, but, you know, as long as we kind of control for the allergies and list your allergies properly, it's not that much risk. All right, it might tell you to eat something you don't like to eat, but it's not yeah. the end of the world. Who likes broccoli anyway? Right? Nobody does. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, so I think that's the, uh, there are some really simple use cases. Take, um, you know, uh, 
other areas such as uh, trying to connect patients with community resources, right? Today, literally, we could call you up and say, how you doing? How you feeling? We could call every senior in Canada once a week if needed in an open-ended conversation. How are you feeling this week, ma'am? What's going on? Oh, yeah. Do you have enough to eat? Like, this is a very important thing. You can't get healthy with all the medications if you're not eating enough. Yeah. In the U.S., what happens is the chronic care nurses call up patients. They check in with them. Then they call the food banks and say, hey, can you deliver some food to Mrs. So-and-so's house tomorrow? A language model could easily do that. And it could do that for way more people than we could ever afford and do that in a kind of human-based system. So we call this super staffing, this idea of don't just provide the resources that are missing today in the, method, in the kind of paradigm we deploy healthcare today, but 10x the number of healthcare workers, 100x the number of healthcare workers. Like, has what, 30 million-ish Canadians, something like that? I think 40 now. 40 million? Oh, yeah. 40 million Canadians. Why don't yeah. we have 40 million you guys should, You guys workers? should be wor- worried. Like, we're, yeah, we're coming you're, for you guys. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you got, you got more, more than we got here in California where I live. Yeah. But, uh, but think about the 40 million Canadians. Why are there not 40 million nurses, one for every Canadian? Would Cause, that cause, well, because we can't afford that. Yes. Yeah. But our language model, we will probably be able to... So the old chat technology, this is, I think, a big paradigm shift everybody needs to make. And I think people who played around with ChatGPT like, instantly understood this concept, which is, when we used to say chatbot, it was basically something that had an IQ of 60. Yeah. And when we say ChatGPT now, or large language model, we realize this thing has an IQ of, like, 130. Yeah. It's really pretty smart. In fact, it's a better 130 IQ than any human because it's 130 IQ in like every domain. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> and every topic. Yeah. And um, so there's a tremendous opportunity here to take this. And if you actually put it in a voice mode, we estimate it'll cost less than a dollar an hour. So when you're talking about. So I got about a 130 like- IQ that can pass every medical task, which we should talk about. But at the same time, cost less than a dollar an hour. Now we can provide a level of health care that we could never have afforded before. And I, from what I understand, in some parts of, was it Montreal I saw? Like there's a 27-week wait just to see a non-critical, uh, get a doctor's appointment for a non-critical issue. There's a three-year wait for a PCP in, in Montreal. So We do have challenges with family doctors in Canada yeah. right now. There's just not enough of them, and people have a hard time find, finding one. So they have to end up going to medical clinic, clinics. And That's yes, right. there, there is a, a wait a, around that. So when you're talking about, because when people think chatbots right now, it's like you're you're going back and forth in text, but you're envisioning a voice, a voice, because we're there technology-wise, aren't we? Yes, we are. Yeah. Uh, there's a new breakthrough in speech synthesis that's amazing. It's so good. It sounds like a human. Like a human. All that, you know, weird robotic kind of chatter we're used to on the speech synthesis side has largely been fixed. It's a tad slow still. Yes. They'll speed that up. But other than the slowness, it's really pretty good. And then the speech recognition has kind of always been there. But actually, when the speech recognition messes up, we've seen again and again the language model just guesses the missing word and guesses it right. Really? Yeah. And <laughs> just fixes it, kind of fixes the missing word or the wrongly understood word. Yeah. But what about elderly people that may have a hard time speaking properly or they've got some sort of speech impediment? Like, can it figure that out? Well, first, I think more elderly people can talk on the phone that can then can text. Hundred percent. I know. I agree with the universality of a conversation over voice is way Way. higher than the universality of text or website. 
or anything. And we've been driving people towards digital for years now, right? Because it's cheaper. But it's not more persuasive. If I got to convince you to take your medication, am I better off doing that on text or on a phone call? Voice. Right? Always 100%. Voice. And so I think that there's... Um, I think this is the modality that's probably best for this. We will also provide a text version of our large language model. We will also provide an email version. Um, but we believe that voice has a critical part of it. The other part is there's something I can get in voice I can't get anywhere else, which is tone of voice. And so we are actually have trained our language model to understand tone because there's a difference between, yeah, my back hurts and my back hurts. Yeah. The text recognition is identical on both of those, right? At least the second part of that, my back hurts. And so... But the tone tells you, man, you better respond very differently. So one of the key things we're building into our language model is bedside manner. And um, sorry, you can be build bedside manner into your yeah. Can. In fact, the chat chat GPT is already by default so good. There's a study that came out in JAMA Internal Medicine, one of the uh, 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 you know scientific journals, that basically said humans preferred the. Um, bedside manner of chat gpt over real doctors are you kidding like not a little bit like a lot more so humans preferred the ai over a real real <laughs> the AI is always polite it's infinitely patient it never cuts you <laughs> off like, it's got all you can talk as long as you, you can want. talk well that's another thing so today when when we try to do things like chronic care management we call you up and we're like hey mike have you taken your medication do you need more are you going to make your appointment next week do you need a ride to your appointment okay all right thanks for Good shock in there. Hang up. I'm like, that was like a drive-by nagging. Yeah. Right? We just came, nagged you, hung up. Well, why'd that happen? Because it's all run by average handle time. That's how you run a call center. You're like, okay, how many calls did you do and how many days, you know, in, in your eight hours today? Well, the language model has infinite time. I could spend 45 minutes talking to you about whatever's your favorite sport, whatever's your favorite hockey team, and... uh and then I can say, hey, by the way, make sure you take your rents. And so a very different paradigm when, again, the cost of the conversation basically approaches zero. So what about the human aspect? Like, I like I really see the benefits of being able to, like, follow up with patients. But some people are listening, like, I just want to talk to a human. I, you were missing the whole human element. Yes. We, um, you know... I think if you look at that, there, I mean, I don't see us reducing the number of any healthcare workers because we don't have enough to begin with. No, and that's in that's, a, of the GA, that's a problem right? everyone has. Everybody has this. So just redeploy them to the physical environments where you need them. But there's a lot of virtual care like this that we can deploy, and we can deploy very effectively, and we can truly make people healthier. And so we should try to do that and get people comfortable. Like if you don't want to talk to it, don't talk to it. That's okay. But as long as some subset of people do talk to it, that's going to lessen the load on everybody else. That's going to allow us to do it. I mean, think about this. Do you really, like, if you got a test done and the test was negative, i.e. they didn't find anything, do we need to spend a nurse or doctor's time calling you to tell you it was negative? No. No, but yet we do. Well, let's free that up so they can see more patients. Let's have the language model call you up. And you, you might still have some questions. Oh, what was that test for again? How does it work? What does it mean? This and the language model can probably answer enough yeah. of those questions. When so, should when should I see the doctor again? Yeah, when should I mean like, oh, you want me to make an appointment? It can even make an appointment for you. Like that's not hard. Let it do that. Let it use all that time that would have been spent by a nurse to offload it. And so there will be some preferences, but 
Um, I think people will be surprised in the same way they are surprised. I don't know if you saw this. There's a uh, large language model-based um, product called Character AI. And apparently the average session time is 30 minutes. 30 minutes. 30 minutes people are chatting away. Wow. And it's just, you know, it's people are finding it entertaining and fun. And so we're going to do some fun things with RLM. We're actually hiring Hollywood joke writers to like, like, what if it called you up and it told you a good joke every time? It called yep. you up on your health. Like, yep. why does this have to be so clinical? Why can't it have an health? So you're actually making it more human. Yes. Yeah. And so the accuracy, that was one of the things that, you know, caught me. Like they did this comparison between chat GPT and, and your large language model. Yeah. Um, and yours is clearly is more accurate because you have yeah. correct information <laughs> going into well, it. Well, before we decided to build the full final solution, we said, step one, let's show that our language model has the medical knowledge necessary to be one. And so what we did is we found 114 medical certifications. The board, ex li the board licensing exam for being an OBGYN, the board licensing exam for being a cancer, um, an oncologist, um, a pediatrician, the nurse's exam for being an ICU nurse. Like we basically found everything. We found the pharmacy exam, the dental exams, like you name it, we found it. And then we said, all right, let's see how we do. And let's see how we, you know, ChatGPT does, or GPT-4 actually, we took their newest version. And, um, and on 114 of these, you know, medical certifications, effectively, we beat them on 105. And we tied on like six or so, and then we, we lost. Always room for improvement. Yes. <laughs> no, but that's and, pretty amazing. So that's pretty amazing. Say, hey, you can, it, what it just showed was if you focus on building a, a healthcare-centric language model, you can make it smarter and you can make it more accurate. Been talking with uh, Majal Shah. He is with a company called Hippocratic uh, AI, which I think we'll all be hearing more of uh, in the future. I want to thank you for coming on the program. No problem. Thank you for having me. When we come back from the break, more tech to talk. Stay tuned. You are back with the program. Mike Agarbo here. Don't forget to enter our contest, giving away an Epson EcoTank inkjet printer. They're uh, ET22. 80 model, I believe. Uh, this thing is fantastic. It prints for thousands of pages, and uh, when it's out of ink, you just buy some new inexpensive uh, ink bottles. So it saves you uh, money over the long run, and you don't have to worry about replacing cartridges. It's all in the tank. Go to our website, getconnectedmedia.com, and the secret word today, you want some extra entries? Write this down, EcoTank. That's the secret word, and you'll get extra entries to increase your chances to win. I want to talk about smartphone sales now. Uh, it's been uh, a crazy few years uh, with the pandemic and the economy. Uh, we're going to get an update on how smartphone sales are doing around the world uh, when it comes to Android phones and iPhones. We've got Carmi Levy with us uh, today. Thanks for joining us, Carmi. Great to be here, Mike. Thanks for having me. Uh, I, I find this an interesting segment uh, about what we're uh, going to talk about. The, the two main operating systems for phones in the world would be Android and then Apple with their, their iPhone. So Android mm -hmm. encompasses pretty well every other manufacturer out there. There's not really un, any other main competitors when it comes to, uh, you know, Android phones or sorry, to the, to the iPhone. Uh, Android mm -hmm. phones, uh, Samsung, LG, uh, you know, the list goes on. They, they're all using uh, using it, but it looks like uh, sales are slumping right now, Carmi. 
Yeah, big time. They are off. Uh, data from Counterpoint Research shows that year over year they are down 24%. So the market has literally, like a quarter of the market has disappeared in the last year. And what's interesting is if you follow them quarter to quarter, this is the third straight quarter of year over year decline. So pretty clearly we are buying far fewer phones than we used to. I think a lot of people are looking at inflation numbers. They're looking at interest rates. They're looking at maybe job insecurity. It's, it's costing more to buy food. Um, you know, they're renewing their mortgage. They're looking for ways to cut their home budget, cut their spending. And they're looking at their smartphones. And they've been, most of them have been working from home for the last few years. You know, didn't, don't really need a new phone. That's one area where if I stretch from two to three or even four years, you know, keep that same phone a little bit longer, uh, I can save myself a heck of a lot of money because I'm not paying it out month over month. Uh, it is a very big difference on the home budget, and we're starting to see that play out in the market. What's interesting, though, is that Android numbers, their their shipments dropped 38% last quarter, and iPhones only fell 6% in, in the U.S. And so, you know, it's kind of neat as time goes on what we're seeing is yeah everyone's buying fewer phones but android is being hurt even more than iphone so what's happening is a market share that it's to to apple's advantage more of us have iphones now than we used to and of course apple continues to grow its lead in north america even though globally apple trails the android market in north america it's the flip side apple leads all comers and that lead continues to grow thanks to these mega trends happening it's interesting. Uh, like you said, when you do look at overall worldwide sales, Android is dominating. It's more than three quarters of all mm -hmm. smartphone shipments. I don't have the exact numbers in front of me. But, you know, you got to look at, at where those sales are. A lot of them are in developing countries. They're in India, uh, China as well. And with Apple, they, they're killing it, like you said. They are increasing their shipments and sales in you know, the Western uh, countries, especially in North America. And the more phones they sell, it's like a kind of a, a double whammy of revenue. They get the money from, from the phones and they've got great margins on, on those, but also all the associated Apple services, Apple Music, uh, you know, iCloud, uh, you know, Arcade. I mean, they've got so many of these cloud services. You know, I, God, I think my bill is like 30 or 40 bucks a month in these cloud services for Apple. So they, they're raking the cash in. Yeah, it's interesting. Apple just released their quarterly results, and and they had an all-time revenue record in their services business uh, over a billion page subscriptions, uh, which is astounding. I mean, this is a billion. Like, this is a, a billion. A bi a Jeez. billion subscriptions and that's a lot of that is based on that foundation of selling you iPhones and iPads and Macs and Apple Watches and AirPods and all the other constituent hardware devices once you're in that ecosystem it's very hard to get out of it uh, because then you lose those services and of course nobody wants to lose those services it's part of that network that keeps you coming back so you know Apple has you know its services business is one of the you know on its own if we pulled it out of Apple it would still be one of the largest companies in the world so it's a remarkable performance and i think that it illustrates that it, you know it's no longer just about selling hardware it's about selling all the services around it whereas with android it's that ecosystem is not as well defined you buy a phone and in many cases you can buy a cheap phone i can go to a, an emerging market and find an android device for 50 bucks apple of course will not never sell an iphone for 50 bucks but certainly some a lot of no-name brands would be happy to and so that works for a lot of people obviously in some economies that's the only choice but 
Uh, don't expect there to be services, well-integrated services, available on those devices, too. So it's a very different play, and they're playing to very different audiences. And Apple seems to have figured out how to kind of live in that, you know, let's call it premium uh, part of the market. Uh, Apple does not sell cut rate. They never will. And I think we can expect that ecosystem, those services, to continue to grow um, as we kind of look for ways to squeeze more value out of those four-figure phones that we seem to be addicted to. So on the Android side, like who's getting hurt the most? Uh, you know, when I look at the players, Samsung's kind of the dominant player there. They're kind of like the mm-hmm. kind of like the Apple of the Android side. You know what I mean? But are they yeah. are they getting hit hard? They must be. They are. I think I think Samsung has the most to lose. Certainly, as the dominant uh, hardware player in the Android ecosystem, um, their phones are perceived as flat, the flagship devices. But they also sell across all tiers of the market. So, you know, high-end flagships, mid-range devices, as well as entry-level, Samsung sells them all. They don't sell. We don't see that. We don't see a lot of the entry-level devices here in North America because most carriers won't carry them. Um, but out, certainly outside of North America, Samsung is the 800-pound gorilla in that market. But also. You know, Motorola, of course, has you know, e- you know emerged from its years out in the wilds. Uh, Google has emerged as a very significant hardware player as well. They make the software that everyone else uses, but they've also become a pretty significant significant player in hardware in their own right. And so you look at all these Android players, and Google's done a good job getting partnership growing. But the problem here is, is that as the as as smartphone sales contract, they don't have services to sort of shift the 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 burden to. Uh, whereas Apple can maybe sell fewer iPhones, but they still get that monthly subscription revenue. That isn't the case in the world of Android, and that's something that uh, certainly Google is probably going to want to talk to its partners about. Because if I'm Samsung and all I'm doing is selling phones in 2023, I certainly missed the boat. It's interesting. Get about a minute and a half here, but you know. People aren't replacing their phones as often uh, anymore. And, uh, you know, there hasn't been like huge innovations over the past few years that I think compel people to go to the latest phone. Maybe Samsung with their folding uh, phones Mm -hmm. uh, and the latest ones. Those are kind of exciting. But, you know, you're not really getting a lot more in the, the latest incarnations of these devices. You're certainly not. I mean, the, the typical form factor of a smartphone is still basically a rectangular slab of glass, with the exception of flip phones that have carved out uh, a you know a pretty lucrative niche for themselves. I think a lot of the early engineering problems are being worked out. It's really starting to drive mainstream. You can get them at lower price points as well. Samsung just introduced new versions of their models, uh, and they were very well received as well. But you know, I, I think we're long past the point where it's enough to simply sell the hardware. Um, so as as impressive as these devices devices are, where's the software? Where are the services that really take advantage of this new screen real estate? I haven't seen them yet, and that's something I would expect both Google as well as Samsung to put their heads together and figure out how that works. We're going to have to take a break. Uh, You are tuned into the app show right now. Uh, When we come back, a little more tech to talk, uh, and uh, we will be covering uh, a really interesting uh, topic here. We are going to be chatting about uh, Meta and them going dark with news that's uh, finally starting to happen if you're looking on your facebook feeds you're probably seeing less and less uh, canadian news well we'll talk about that and some of the implications you are tuned in to the app show don't forget to enter our contest giving away a fantastic epson inkjet printer it's one of their eco tank printers get connectedmedia.com back after this you are back with the program mike agarbo here in studio well it's the week it looks like meta which is uh, facebook and instagram is cutting off all the Canadian news 
from their feeds. To help us understand the implications and how Canada will not survive this, we've got our good friend Carmi Levy from Toronto on the line. Thanks for joining us, Carmi. Great to be here, Mike. Thanks for having me. Is this the end of Canada? <laughs> well, I think Mark Zuckerberg would like us to believe that. I think the fact that Meta has announced that they're essentially taking their ball and going home, pulling Canadian media content off of their platform, I think they're hoping that Canadians from coast to coast to coast will go, oh my goodness, that's terrible, and that they'll all start you know, picketing in Ottawa and complaining to the federal government uh, how they don't understand technology and they're ruining all of our lives. But I mean, the reality is, is uh, I think it matters a lot more to, uh, uh, you know, a few people than the vast majority of Canadians. And I think most of us really have not been using Facebook and certainly Instagram for news content uh, forever anyway. It's not like I woke up in the morning and said, oh, I got to go to Instagram because I, I need to see what's going on in my community. That's not what Instagram was and is built for. It's built for pretty pictures and videos, uh, not, for, not for news in the feed. And Facebook was only marginally better than that. But they'd already been dialing down the algorithm in recent months, and they've been filling it up with AI-provided suggestions of things that I might be interested in, but frankly have no interest in. So, uh, no, I, I, I think for the average Canadian, there's there's a, there's a bit of a brouhaha, oh my goodness, big tech is doing something bad for Canada. But the ultimate impact, based on how we use these tools already, I think is fairly limited. And I think that might be somewhat alarming if Mark Zuckerberg ever kind of looks at it in the cold light of day. Not as big a deal as we'd like to think it is and quite frankly i think it's it's nice to tell a big american tech company you know what we really don't need you as much as we thought we did well this is in response to the liberal government's online news act which uh, has become law uh, earlier in the summer here and uh, basically it requires tech giants to enter into agreements that uh, will basically compensate uh, the different uh, news outlets in Canada for content shared or repurposed on their platform. So it, when we talk about the tech giants, typically this is more meta, which is Facebook and Instagram and Google. I have to be honest, uh, Carmi, I use Facebook quite a bit. I don't know why, but I, you know, I've got a lot of friends there, you know, the pictures, but I do have a lot mm -hmm. of news like I've subscribed to a lot of different news organizations and I found over the past few weeks, they're gone. Uh, so I guess they've been dialing it down already. And I have to say, Facebook has become more of a wasteland for me. Yeah, I still, you know, look at the pictures from friends, but there's, it's just crap that is coming up. You know, you won't believe what this celebrity did. And you know what I mean? Like, it's just pure crap. And it makes me want to use Facebook less and less now. So they're almost kind of shooting themselves in the foot, aren't they? I think they are, and I've been I've been warning about that for a very long time. Is that you know you and I and all of us we use Facebook and Instagram and Google and other resources, particularly social media platforms, on a kind of like a value for time basis. Most of us don't pay for accessing them. Uh, we pay with our time. We pay with our data, and then supposedly we get something back from that. We get a sense of community of connectedness to people who matter to us. And the problem is, is in recent years, Facebook in particular, but also Instagram, basically meta-owned properties, they've been playing with the algorithm. And if you look at your feed, it's no longer about who you follow. 
It is about AI provided, quote unquote, suggestions of things that you might be interested in based on things you've done on the platform before. The level of noise has gone up tremendously within our feeds to the point that, frankly, most of it is just you're right. Wasteland, I think, is a perfect word to describe it. Uh, most of the time I will scroll for a couple of minutes through my Facebook feed and then ask my, and then stop and ask myself, what am I doing? Is it worth my time? And it all comes down to what am I getting back for the time that I'm putting into it? And I think that value proposition is getting more and more diluted with time. And the company's announcement that it's going to be pulling or that it is already pulling uh, Canadian media content from that feed, from that equation, I think uh, it steepens the, the drop. It steepens the devaluation of the platform. And I think it's reasonable to conclude that, yeah, they are shooting themselves in the foot because I think it makes it easier for you and me and everyone to basically go, you know what? It's just not as worth not as worth my time anymore as it used to be. I think I'll go find something else to do. You know, we're looking at the beginning of the end of social media as we know it, and that's not necessarily a bad thing. I think that value proposition has been sinking for years, and I think now we finally have our opportunity to you know really draw that line in the sand and say enough. Yeah, I think the best news article that came up in my feed the past day was the Cardi B article, <laughs> where you know she threw a microphone at someone who threw a drink at her. So, I, you know, I'm not getting the hard-hitting news anymore. Like, seriously, I, you know, I would have global news come up in my feed and stuff, and so it kind of kept me around. So I'm, mm -hmm. I'm fascinated to see what happens over the next few months. Uh, I'm more worried about Google cutting it all off, aren't you? You know, I was, and that, you know, when, as I was following Bill C-18, the Online News Act, through, you know, the various readings in the House of Commons, and then the Senate, and then it was enacted into law, uh, and now they're negotiating the final terms before it actually goes into day-to-day -day use by the end of the year, uh, my biggest worry wasn't so much the meta-provided platforms, it was Google, because I think most of, like, you know, when I search for something, I would expect there to be news articles that come back as links in my results list. And that's a real big use case for me, certainly as an analyst and a journalist, I know certainly for you as well. And for most of our listeners, that is, uh, that's a core function of how search works. And so social media is one thing, search is another. And if Google goes dark, I think we're all in a much bigger world of hurt than if you know Facebook just decides to drop it. The good news here is that uh, Meta and Google have taken very very different tracks in terms of responding to the current negotiation process around the Online News Act. While Facebook is threatening to take its ball and going home, well, they actually are taking their ball and going home, Google has said, while they still have concerns about the the act, about the, the law, and while they still have, they're worried that they're going to be, you know, basically paying unlimited amounts, that they have to continue to negotiate, they've committed to continuing to negotiate with the federal government. They're still at the negotiation table. They are confident that a, a deal can be reached. So Google recognizes that, that it devalues itself if it goes dark. So it's trying to find compromise. Meta has decided compromise isn't part of its language. And so I'm pleased that at least Google is sticking it out. And I think Google will end up where it did in Australia, where they threatened right until the last minute and then ultimately struck a deal. So this may be a case where Google, yes, Meta, Facebook, Instagram, no. And you know what? I think that's something reasonable that most Canadians could live with. So just for the listeners, if Google goes dark, what does that mean? I understand on my Facebook feed that there's just not any more news. But mm -hmm. what happens yeah. with Google? Like Google's just uh, my search engine. Yeah, well, if it's a search engine and you search for something, uh, you will not get 
a link from a news source, so Global News, uh, their links would not show up in Google search results. You would have to use some other search tool, like maybe Bing. Um, that would not be, you know, because Microsoft is not uh, threatening to go dark. So Bing would continue to surface news links when you search for things. It'll still have a news section that includes Canadian uh, resources, Canadian media outlets. And so I think this is a reminder to us that we've we've become so conditioned to using the same tools for everything. Use Facebook for you know scrolling through your feed in the morning. Use Google as a search engine and all the other Google sort of services that wrap around that orbit. Uh, this is a good opportunity. And as soon as they announced this, I pulled up Bing and I put it right next to Google. And I've been using the two of them side by side for the last little while. And, and in all honesty, um, you know, Bing doesn't do a half bad job. It does the job it fills in. And if, if Bing doesn't go dark, that may be our only choice. This is a time for Canadians to really look at their tools and go, should I still be using that? Or maybe I should be shaking it up a little bit because other things can get it done if Google and Meta don't. We just have to be a little creative in putting those tools in place before these companies roll out those changes. Okay, so if they do shut off news uh, and I type up, um, you know, Justin Trudeau separating from his, his wife, will I get American news articles? Yeah, you're not going to get anything from a Canadian news uh, source. You will get only from something that originates from from Canadian news media that originates outside of Canada. They know, of course, where we are because you and I, uh, when we access the Internet, we're on a Canadian IP address. And same thing with Canadian news media. They have already drawn up a list of organizations, Facebook pages, as well as URLs, web addresses uh, that are associated with Canadian media outlets, large and small. Well, we'll have to stay tuned over the next few weeks to see if uh, the government and Google can negotiate something so uh, Canadian news doesn't go dark there. And uh, basically, to summarize, Carmi, in your opinion, uh, news disappearing from Meta, which is Facebook and Instagram, you don't care. Um, I don't because, uh, you know, and, and I think Canadians shouldn't. Canadians should just take charge of how they consume this content. Go to the website of the media organizations uh, that matter to you. Bookmark them. Download the apps. Use them directly. Don't leave it to Facebook's algorithm to decide what you can and cannot see because it really does a terrible job of that. How many times has a news story shown up in your feed that was a week old? That happens to me all the time, or at least it did until it went dark. So, um Take control of your of your media consumption uh, process, uh, and you'll find your you, you you have a much better view view of what's going on. And you know the bonus is that ad revenue doesn't go to Facebook anymore or Meta; it goes to the Canadian company that created it in the first place. I want to give a shout out to our contests uh, this week one more time. We're giving away an Epson EcoTank printer. This thing is fantastic. Uh, you. Uh, you get it, and it comes with enough ink to print like 5,000 pages. Good for, you know, for many people for a couple of years. So uh, saves those, uh, you know, Sunday night trips uh, to Staples uh, when you've run out uh, on your ink cartridge. Uh, this thing uh, is uh, a fantastic printer, does great documents, photos. If you want to get more info on how to enter, you got to go to our website, getconnectedmedia.com. Com, and we have all the uh, the details there. I want to thank all the folks that helped put the show together, including Gray and the rest of the team back at the studio. We'll see you again next time.